up in the church. I grew up in a particular segment of the church that believed that God did and does things here and now in the present, like actual, like physical, real things. And I grew up in a time when there was a lot of stuff going on. Now, I grew up in a time where the church was experiencing all over the country what they, people were calling revival. And now, I am 100% sure that some of the things that were happening at the time were real. I, I know they were. No, the 90s. Yeah, the 90s, yeah. So, the, the thing is, is that I, I would go to either youth camp or, you know, various services. We bring in an evangelist and, and the, the ideal situation was that at the end of the service, we would have an altar call and somebody would put their hands on you and you knew if it was a good service, if you fell down when they put their hands on you. And, and that was a, that was a thing like that. That was that was an experience that people had. And, you know, it was an experience. I had friends that, you know, I went one year we went to youth camp and, and, and this this season of my life is not something I talk about a lot. But I went one year we went to youth camp and um, this friend of mine uh this happened to him. He was went down to the altar at the end of service. And got uh, the the uh, the evangelist for youth camp that year laid his hands on him, and he fell down and laid on the floor until like eleven o'clock at night. And and I watched all of these things happen, and I I wanted a real encounter with God. I wanted to experience those things for myself. And so I went down, I went to the front, I got prayed for. One of the things I realized is that during that time, there was a huge amount of pressure, a huge amount of pressure to experience something that God was doing. And that pressure was not only on the people who were in the audience, but it was also on the speakers. I can't tell you how many times I would go to the front and the, the, this pressure, like I, and I, I, I want, I want to experience what Adam experienced. I want to experience this thing where God does something amazing in my life. And I, the, the evangelists would put their hand on my forehead. And then it really, it really felt like they were pushing me. It, but, but like that, that pressure to feel like God was doing something also made me feel like, like it made them feel like they had to push, but it also made me feel like I had to fall down. And it, it, this season of my life, like I really, I really didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand why, why God wouldn't do that for me. Why God wouldn't allow me to experience those kinds of things. But, but I kept participating. 
I kept showing up. I kept engaging in these things to the point where one, one year, one summer, we, um, we went to this big, there was a big Coliseum of evangelism event here in Denver at the Denver Coliseum. And, and we did, I went through the training to be uh, a prayer, to work in the altars for the prayer time. And I felt the other side of that pressure to participate in what God was doing. And the hard thing about this entire season is that it created this immense struggle for me because I wanted a real encounter with God. I wanted a real experience with God, but I couldn't find it. And it came to the point where I, I believe that the Holy Spirit did things in our lives. I believe that he was real I believe that the work that he wanted to do in people's lives was real, but I didn't ever talk about it. I didn't ever speak about it. I didn't ever preach about it. I didn't ever communicate about it. It wasn't something that I wanted to talk about. I became, I became a little bit cynical and a little bit jaded. I was hurt. And I, I didn't know what to do with that. And I think... I think we've all been in situations, maybe not, maybe you didn't, you've never experienced that. Maybe you've never been part of that part of the church where you, that was a part of your church experience, but maybe you've been a part of experiences where like you've seen other people experiencing joy in a way that you can't relate to. Like you want to, you try to put yourself in the position to experience that kind of joy. To, and and it, you always feel like an outsider looking in. You know, those experiences really made me in those times, look at myself, look at what was going on in my life. Like, obviously the reason why I wasn't experiencing those sorts of things is because there was something wrong with me. There was something wrong with my life. And I, I looked and I, I, I tried to make a list of why I was or wasn't worthy to experience these things with God. And when I came up short on that list or me praying and repenting of certain things on a list didn't allow me to encounter it. The other side of that, as I assumed that, well, maybe God just doesn't want that for me. And I think, I think the, the challenge is, is that we can assume that those moments of transcendence, those moments where God, his presence is real. We talked about this. It's, this was not a collaborative effort today. Talk, uh, what, the things that Tony was mentioning was not a collaborative effort. Uh, we didn't talk about this beforehand. But we talk about the presence of God. And there are times where, like, you walk in and there is something different. There's something real about what's happening in a room. And how does that happen? And how do we recreate those moments? How do we re-enter those kinds of moments? You know, we, we look for ways. We try to create a formula. We try to create a way that we can experience those moments where God's presence is real to us. And when we can't, when we can't recreate those moments, we wonder, 
is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with this place? Is there something wrong with just God just not, has God withdrawn his spirit from this place? We kicked off this series last week, studying the life of Moses. And I, I think Moses has a really interesting relationship with God's presence. Like he has an incredibly unique experience with God's presence that we don't see a lot. We don't see this kind of interaction in a lot of places in scripture. So Joy talked a little bit last week about Moses's early experience. So after Moses encounters God at the burning bush and he goes back and he brings the people out of Egypt. They finally get there and they're at the base of Mount Sinai. They're, they're doing the thing that Moses said that they were going to do. They're going to go a three days journey and worship. And they're at the base of Mount Sinai and the mountain is covered with smoke and lightning and flashes. And it, the interesting thing is, is that originally, the original plan was that all of the people would go to the mountain. All of the people would go up to the mountain and they saw the lightning and they saw the smoke and they saw the presence of God so thick and they were terrified. And they said to Moses, no, you go, you go. And Moses did. He goes up to the mountain and he's up there for 40 days. And during that 40 days, he meets with God face to face. He meets with God and God gives him the law. God writes the law on stone tablets. Not, not Moses writes the law. God writes the law on stone tablets he has this incredible experience with God. Have you, any of you ever experienced anything like that? No? He comes down from the mountain carrying the tablets. And as he's on the mountain, he hears a ruckus. And at first he thinks, is that celebration? No. There's, there is a party going on but it's not a good one. And as he comes down into the camp, he sees that the people have created, that they have, as he's walking down the mountain, they have already broken the first commandment. They've created a, another God, an image, a graven image. They've created a golden calf. And Moses loses his mind. Like, here's the interesting thing. Like, I don't know if it was because Moses realized that, that there's a failure in leadership. You know, if you're a leader, you know that when people, when your people make mistakes, somehow that's on you. Or he just was, he was just ticked off. And he takes these stone tablets and he throws them on the ground and shatters them into a million pieces. And then, as if that's not bad enough, like God made those tablets 
not Moses. Like this was someone else's hard work. Moses breaks his breaks it on the ground because he's ticked off at the people, and it gets it gets worse from there. Like his angry tirade goes on from there. He takes the golden calf, grinds it up into dust, puts the dust in the water, and then makes the people drink the water. Real classy. He's ticked off. You don't want to drink gold water. And so he needed an anger management class. So here's the thing. So you think Moses has this, this encounter with God and he comes down and has this experience where he's, he's angry. He loses it. He, he has this, this experience where he's like, Part of it is like maybe he's standing up for the holiness of God, but the other part of it is he's really disappointed in the people. He's disappointed in what's going on. And and if there's any like this, there's if there's anything that like like you would think, well, now Moses has to overcome this experience. He's this isn't a great time in his life, and and now it's probably gonna, he probably doesn't have an encounter like this with God ever again. No. We, we hear in the, the very next chapter, David, you're going to have to, I don't have the clicker. It's behind me. Found it. That is, that is not it. So starting in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 33, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. So this is immediately after this whole experience, the whole story of, of Moses losing it, throwing the stones on the ground, grinding up the cow and, and putting it in the water, making everybody drink it. This is what it says. Well, this is not the aftermath. Just, just hold on. You'll, you'll, you'll hear it. You'll get, you'll get to it. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and have found favor with you. You have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So, so God, after this aftermath, after, after this encounter where the people are, are disobedient before they even know what the rules are, 
Go back to the last one. Moses says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. God speaks to Moses face to face and he has this encounter with God again. And starting in verse 14, The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us with here, from here. If your presence does not go with us, don't send us away from here. Moses had this, this, this real sense that God's presence was something that he needed in his life. You know, he wanted to encounter, he wanted that encounter. He wanted the people, he wanted the people to experience God's presence, but more and more importantly than the people, he needed that presence of God. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. I don't want to go from this point forward I'm not doing it. If, if, if your presence doesn't go with this, you can find somebody else to lead. He has this really interesting relationship with God because he, there are some interesting conversations that Moses has with God where it really seems like Moses is, is changing the mind of God. But he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, Do not send us from here. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. I'll do it. I'll go with you. My presence will go with you wherever you go. And, And when you read the rest of the story, like throughout Moses's ministry and leadership of the nation of Israel, like whenever they would camp, like, they would break camp in the morning and a pillar of fire would go before them or a cloud in the morning and a fire by night. God's presence would go with them everywhere he went. But, but that wasn't enough for Moses. That wasn't enough for Moses. He says, now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see my face and live. Let's just keep track of it, this part right here. He says, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Just tuck that in your... Tuck that away for a second. We're going to come back to that. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand 
and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So can you imagine this, this entire scenario? Like Moses prays the prayer. I want to see your glory. God, I want to see your glory. Like that's a pretty bold and crazy prayer. The even more bold and crazy thing is the response. God says, yes. God says, yes. Not only will I show you my glory, but I will proclaim my name in your presence. I will, like like Moses, he tells Moses, go climb up on this rock and stay there. My glory will pass and I will cover your face. I will cover your face and I will pass in front of you. And as I pass in front of you, I will remove my hand and you can see my back. You can't see my face because if you see my face, you'll die. But like even, even like the interesting thing about that is you go back to the beginning is like, and it says Moses talks to God face to face. I don't know exactly how that worked because if you see God's face, you, you die but, but the thing, interesting thing is, is that God, Moses has this crazy encounter. And this is following immediately on the hill, heels of Moses blowing up and making a fool of himself. So, so what is it? What is it that makes this possible? You know, I had this experience. I remember this very distinct moment when I was uh, a kid. We had youth prayer every Thursday night. And it was during this, this season where we were praying that God would show up and God would do something awesome in our lives. And, and I remember we would spend the first half of our youth prayer night praying by ourselves, which usually meant people fell asleep um, and then ended up with pew prints on their face. But then after that, we would gather in the middle and hold hands, which is always fun. Um, we would hold hands and we would pray. And I remember I, I just felt like I wanted to experience God's presence. And so I was praying this prayer, something to the effect of God, show, we, we invite you here. We invite your presence here. We invite you to show up here. And I, I prayed for a couple of minutes and no sooner that I said, amen. And one of the other kids in the group said to me, he's like, you know, God's omnipresent. And you can't you, like, it's like, it's, like, it's contradictory to invite God here. He's already here. And I, I, I wanted to say, thank you for that. Thank you for that information. The reality is, is that he's right. God is everywhere. God is in the middle of everything. God is in every moment, in every space, in every season. So what is the difference between this moment where God's presence is so real and other moments? <clears throat> what is the difference? So, so here's the thing. 
I said we come back to this. The ironic thing is that when Moses threw the stones on the ground, the third commandment on that stone was the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. There's Moses throwing the stone. Could you grab me a water? So, so mo- the third commandment was, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And I, I grew up being told that do not take the Lord's name in vain meant do not use the Lord's name as a cuss word. And I think that's at least part of the meaning. But I think there's so much more to that. Let me, let me go back. There's a quote I want to read you. This, this quote is by uh, Richard Rohr. And he says, he's, he's talking about how as leaders in the church and talking about God's presence, what, how we've made a little bit of a mistake in how we talk about it. And he says, but do you know what none of us did very well? We didn't teach our people how to be present here and there and everywhere And unless we are present before the presence, there is no real presence for us. So let's let's go back to this this commandment. Let's go back. It says, I will proclaim my name, the Lord. The third commandment, do not use the Lord's name in vain. We've talked about this before, but we'll go over it again. Whenever you see in your Bible, you open up your Bible and the word Lord is in all capital letters. That is an instance of the original language in Hebrew that the name of the Lord is written in the text. Now, Orthodox Jews, even to this day, when they were reading the scriptures in Hebrew and they encounter those letters, they never say the name out loud. They replace the word that is in the text with the word Adonai, which means Lord, which is where we get the tradition of having the word Lord there in all capitals. They replace the word Lord with the word, or the, the, the Hebrew word, of, of God, the name of God, with the word Adonai, which means Lord. So, <clears throat> when, you, when you think about what, it, what does it mean to take the word, the name of the Lord in vain, to misuse the name of the Lord, the NIV says this, he says, you shall not use misuse the name of the Lord, your God. Again, same word. Um, so just a little, little, little background. Um, Hebrew is written from right to left. We read from left to right. 
And so you would start over here. This is the Hebrew letter Yod. This is the Hebrew letter He. This is the Hebrew letter Vav and He. Now, the interesting thing about the name of God is not, not only, like, not only was it not pronounced, but many Jewish scholars believe that it was not, not only not pronounced, it was unpronounceable. Because the name of the Lord was intended to mimic the sound of human breathing. Think about it a second. I know it sounds weird. But track with me for a second. The, the pronunciation that we've landed at today is Yahweh. So think about, think about, think about breathing for a second. You breathe in. Now think about that for a second. Just think, just bear with me for a second. If we're not to misuse the name of the Lord, if we're not to use the name of the Lord in vain, and the name of the Lord mimics the sound of our breathing, what does that mean? It means that we're not to waste a single breath. We're not to waste a single moment. Now here's the interesting thing. Those moments where it feels like it's hitting the fan and you're like, God's presence isn't here. He's clearly not here. Are you breathing in those moments? Are you breathing in those moments? See, the interesting thing about this is that this is the one thing as humans that we do from the beginning to the end. In fact, like the very first thing that you did was breathe. The very first thing you did was whisper the name of God, the sacred name of God. The very last thing that you do is whisper the name of God. Now, what's the difference between the moments where God's presence is real and where it feels like God is 100 miles away? If, if we believe that God is in every moment, in every season, in every space, in every place, in every moment of our lives, what's the difference between the moments where it's, it's obvious, like there's a general consensus. You know, it's, it's interesting on Sundays you will have a worship experience and like you walk, when I walk up here after the, after the worship experience, it, it's, it's, it feels different. The difference between those moments and the other moments is our presence, not God's. 
It's about how we show up. I think the problem, and, and it's, it's getting worse and worse. We're not present for anything. We're not present for anything. We always have something going on. We always have something on our mind. We always have something that, that, that's occupying the space in our brain. And we're not really present. The reality is, this you may not like this. But it's true. How we do anything is most likely how we do everything. And, and if you're sitting at lunch with your best friend and you're on your phone and, and they don't feel your presence, chances are good you show up in this place or things get really difficult and you show up, you're probably not present there either. The presence of God is everywhere. But where is your presence? I think the beautiful thing about Moses is that Moses consistently showed up. He consistently was present. Like, and, and, and insane in crazy ways. Like, it's like, God, not only do I want to talk to you face to face. Not only do I want to have a conversation where I hear your voice. I want to see your glory. I want to have a real encounter. And he, even though he had this crazy, difficult experience immediately before this, like he's right here back in this presence. He's putting himself back in the presence of God. And so I just want to give us one tool. And, and I hope it doesn't seem too weird. I, I, I hope that this doesn't seem too far off. In, in just a minute, what we're going to do is David has a, a song that we're going to play. This is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to stop thinking about your bills. Thinking about the broken relationships in your life that you're worried about. Stop thinking about the difficulty that you're experiencing. Stop thinking about those moments where God didn't show up when you, when you thought he should have. And I just want you to breathe. And as you breathe, in and out, I want you to breathe all the way in. all the way out. And as you do, we're going to just take a few minutes. And I, wa I want you to be intentional about pushing all of the other things out and being present in this moment. Being present right here. Go ahead and roll that song.
This sounds a little crazy to you. Think about this for a second. The creation story. God forms man out of dust. What does he do next? The Bible says that we're created in his image. We're created in his image. And what does he do after he forms us out of dust? He breathes the breath of life. We're made in his image. He gives us his name from the very moment of creation. Here's the cool thing about what we just did. You can do that anywhere. You don't need a soundtrack. You don't need uh, instruction. You're already doing it. The question is, are you present in those moments? You're driving down the road in traffic. You wake up in the morning and you don't know what to pray and you don't know what to say and you don't know how to engage God. You can breathe. What would it look like if we chose to not take the Lord's name in vain? To live our lives in such a way yeah, that we're not using God's name as a cuss word, sure. But that we aren't wasting 
our moments and our breath, that we're intentionally choosing to be present to what God is doing in this moment. How many more real encounters with God would we have? How much more life transforming would it be rather than being pushed to the ground and looking for this experience? How many more real encounters with God would we experience if we chose to be present right here, right now, in this moment? I challenge you this morning, let's do that. How you do everything, or how you do anything is how you do everything. I, I challenge you to look at your life in those moments. You're sitting with a friend. You're sitting with your spouse. Are you really present in that moment? Or are you somewhere else? Chances are good if that's the way you're living your life in those moments and you're wondering why you don't experience God in other moments, it's probably the same sickness. challenge you present the presence be present to the presence of God in every moment be present the reality is the people that God has put in your life deserve your presence as well let's pray God I thank you thank you for your presence. I thank you that you show up in our lives. That you come in and you transform us. I thank you that for some of us that you show up in these palpable, tangible ways, God. I thank you that you are willing to do that in all of our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to be present your presence. God, this morning, if there are people here that have, that are struggling to be present, God, I pray that you would give them the strength to put distractions aside, to engage not only your presence, but the presence of the people around them. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.